service together, we're going to talk about uh, suffering, we're going to talk about anguish, we're going to talk about how, how do we respond in those times when it's come upon us like a storm. Suffering, sometimes it is, you know, afterwards, it's like we've had the, the, the wind knocked out of us and we can't breathe. It's like we've been concussed, hit in the head with, with a two-by-four, we're dizzy, we can't think straight, you can't get your bearings, you don't know where you are, but when... The, when the vision just begins to clear, when you begin to catch your breath, what then do you say? I don't mean just when someone asks you, how are you, what's wrong. I'm speaking directly to this point. How do, what do you say to God when you've been concussed, when you've had the, the wind, spiritually speaking, just taken right out of you? What do you say? The Bible is not silent on this point. It is quite... Uh, clear. Psalm 22. If you have a Bible with you, I'd ask you to turn there with me now. Psalm 22 is where we're looking here. Uh, as we unpack this and dig into it together, I think you'll understand why some writers refer to this as the fifth gospel. Psalm 22. Hear now the word of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. That you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count on my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly. To my aid, deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. 
My vows I will perform before those who fear Him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And He rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before Him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve Him and it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn. That He has done it. Let's pray. Lord, as the prophet says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And we need this word that we could stand. We pray that you would impress it in our hearts this hour. Amen. Gerald Sitzer is a man who can speak on the topic of suffering. You'll see a quote there in your quotes and notes on where to in just a moment. Let me tell you where it comes from. In September 1991, he was driving his family home in their van from an Indian reservation in Idaho when another vehicle came across the center line at 85 miles an hour and slammed into their van. The road was so remote that it took over an hour for rescue crews to get to them. In the meantime, Gerald tended the living, his two sons, John and David, and his daughter Catherine, and the dying, his mother, Grace, his wife, Linda, and his four-year-old daughter, Diana Jane. When the man writes of suffering, he knows something of what he speaks. And his book, A Grace Disguised, is well worth reading. Now pick up halfway through this paragraph in your quotes and notes. This is what he says. Right in the preface, I believe it is. It is not the experience of loss that becomes the defining moment of our lives, for that is as inevitable as death, which is the last loss awaiting us all. It is how we respond to loss that matters. That response will largely determine the quality, direction, and the impact of our lives. See, what Sitzer is saying here, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, and then how we are going to respond. That's what he's saying. And he's right. He is profoundly right. There are two basic ways to respond to grief, to loss, to anguish, to suffering in, in life. I, this is two polar opposites, but they have something profound in common. One is uh, to feel guilty because in some way you feel as though you deserve it and you had it coming. Looking inwardly, perhaps though another closely related response as you're looking inwardly might not be so much feeling anger, but feeling resentment towards God because now it's not that you feel like you do deserve it, you really feel like you don't deserve it. So you're caught, you're torn, you're twisted up inside between anger and bitterness all at the same time. Now there's another way to respond. And this is not so looking much inwardly as outwardly. It's not really seeing that there's a God at all. Or if there is one, he's uncaring and weak 
and suffering and anguish and pain has no role whatsoever in life because it's pointless because there is no point. It's purposeless because there is no purpose. There is no plan. And so when it comes to suffering and anguish, it's to be spurned, scorned, and we run away with and try. We will lie, cheat, and steal and do whatever we can to avoid it. Now, both of those approaches are miserable. They leave us completely unprepared and ill-equipped for the inevitability of anguish and suffering in, the, in this life. That's what they have in common. Christianity offers another way, a way that is actually true to who God is, to who we are, and to our experience. And it's built on this premise. God calls us to come to Him when times are hard. Not run away from Him, not turn inwardly, but to turn to Him. God calls us to turn to Him, to go to Him when times are hard, to come to Him in prayer and to come to Him as we are. As we are. And Psalm 22, this cry of anguish, shows this very clearly. Very clearly. It couldn't be more clear on this point. And I want to look at this in, in three points, seeing that the kind of anguish, um, knowing the cause of the anguish, and then thirdly, embracing the cure for anguish. Sort of building as we go. So seeing the kind, knowing the cause, and embracing the cure. So let's look at this in turn. What is David going through? Seeing the kind. What is David going through? What is he experiencing? What does it have to do with us? And how does it connect with us? Verses 12 through 18, you can see it's sort of that midpoint there in the, the heart of the, the psalm. He speaks of being surrounded on all sides using these metaphors of, of bulls like lions and men like ravening dogs. It's profound. It's, you know, the strong are preying on the weak, the many are pursuing the one. The idea being. Well, I mean, David is just surrounded. He's completely defenseless. You can get something of the motives here if you read between the lines of, of resentment and greed, raw hatred, a mob mentality. He's surrounded all, on all sides, and he is sinking. He is sinking down deep within verses 14 and 15. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. He keeps going on unpacking that, but there are hints of more that maybe David is not just speaking here. I mean, he is speaking just of himself, but there are hints in the psalm of a, someone else. We'll get to that in a minute. We'll get to that in a minute. But know this. The psalms are prayers. They are inspired, breathed out by the Holy Spirit. Inspired. This is the Word of God. These are prayers. We're to learn something as to how to pray by this in that it's not just the prayer of David. These are, this is the revelation from God of God. It's as though God is saying to us through Psalm 22, come to me with your anguish. Speak to me of it every kind. Come to me with your anguish and speak to me of it every kind. Every kind. I was reminded of a quote of John Bunyan. I won't get into the whole story, but it was one occasion he wrote in his, his journal so reflecting on a time in prison when his family visited him and then they had to leave and he's just feeling this tearing, wrenching of the separation. And he wrote, The parting with my wife and poor children hath often been to me in this place as the pulling of the flesh from my bones. 
Sounds like Psalm 22. Um, the fact is, Christians can feel that way at times. That's the point. Christians, David did, Bunyan did, we may, we will. What path of prayer does this psalm pave for us? Richard Pratt points out very helpfully in that book I alluded to earlier, um, read from earlier, vividness is a, is a vital point here. Vividness, getting into the details, not being vague, not just being satisfied and praying to God, I'm sad. Going beyond that, digging down into the depths of that, as David shows us here, why are you sad? Oh, I feel useless because of the loss of my job. I feel uh, rejected because of the accusations of my friends. I feel lonely because this person that I care for has moved away or died. Get down to the details. Be vivid. Don't be vague. The Lord is telling us, come to me. Tell me of the sting in your heart. Tell me of the wound in your soul. Tell me. Come to me with the anguish and speak of it every kind. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Not just seeing the kind of the anguish, but knowing the cause of the anguish. What's the cause? What's driving this? Why is David in turmoil? What's going on here? What's behind it? What's driving it? And he tells us, well, the immediate cause is taunting. You see it there in verses 6 through 8. He speaks of being scorned and despised and, and mocked. And it's not as though he's just got this calloused heart. He doesn't feel it. He's grieving. But beyond that, it's not just the taunting. It's the blasphemy behind it. Because really, when you read and you understand what's being said to the man, the king of Israel, they are despising. They are mocking. They are rejecting not just him and his faith, but his God. Well, that's the immediate cause, but what's going down beneath that? If you drill down the deeper cause for David's pain, look at verses 3 through 5. He, he hearkens back to history, the history of his people through the years, what he knows, what's been passed down, the stories that have been told of the saints in the years before. Yet, yet you are holy and throned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted, they trusted, you delivered them. The implication being, why not me? Understand? He's a, so on the one hand, the history buoys him, but on the other hand, it weighs him down. It's tearing into him. And it's not just the nation's history, the people's history, but it's personal. If you skip down to verses 9 through 11, he speaks of yet, you know, again, this contrast, but yet, on the other hand, notwithstanding, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breast. You've known me. I've known you from the beginning. Why? And that's what fuels the questions. That's what drives the questions in verses 1 through 2 that are so painful. I mean, he just he comes right out of the gate. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. You understand that the, the, the source, the, the, the greatest cause of David's suffering here is not the rejection, it's not the physical agony that he's feeling, it's this felt sense of abandonment of God, by God. That is what's tearing into his heart. Three times. Why? Why? 
Why? Not asked out of bitterness, but out of confusion. Deep, heartfelt confusion, forsaken, forsaken. You know how ugly, terrible that word is? Forsaken? A man by his friends, a wife by her husband, a child by her parents, forsaken? That's what David is speaking to here. And God is saying implicitly, explicitly to us here in this psalm, come to me with your anguish, come to me, Speak the causes to me. Not just the kinds, but the causes. Go deep with me. I want to go deep with you. You understand that, that forsaken, that could be how the Christian may feel. David felt that way. So might you. So might I. So what path of prayer does this then pave? Not just vividness, not just vividness but honesty. Honesty before the Lord. The fact is there are times, and Psalm 22 shows us this. There are times where we have to be willing to go to God and say, thrusting a contrast before Him. This is who you said you are. This is what you've promised. But this is what I see. I don't understand. And that's not necessarily disrespectful. That's not necessarily done in defiance. It could just be honest. It could just be truth. It could just be transparent. And that's what Psalm 22 is showing us here. And the Lord is saying, come to me with your anguish. Speak causes to me. Now those two things are vital when it comes to knowing how to respond to the Lord in times of anguish, in times of heart, knowing the kinds seeing the causes, coming to Him with those things, but it doesn't take us far enough. There's one last thing, and that's embracing the cure. Because here's the deal. Psalm 22 is not just the prayer of David, but the son of David. It is the cry uh, through the centuries. Theologians have referred to the Psalm 22 and so many words within it as the cry of dereliction. You cannot read the Gospel accounts without hearing echoes of Psalm 22. You can't read Psalm 22 without hearing echoes of the future reverberating through the past. Jesus' words, His experience there on the cross, again and again and again, we see that in here. But it's not just that. It's not just you see echoes and hear these reverberations of His experience on the cross, but also at the same time, because when you get to verses 22 and following, the second part, the deliverance that David describes overflows the banks. It goes far beyond just, and it's not just hyperbole, like poetry, just exaggeration for literature's effect. David seems to be speaking here of a, of a deliverance, of a rescue, of a raising that goes down through space and time that far exceeds anything that he experienced. So who is this really about? Who is really the author, the speaker, the, the, the singer of the psalm? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who sings this psalm. The author of Hebrews speaks to this. Hebrews chapter 2 is not just in the Gospels. It's Hebrews chapter 2 is a quote, direct quotation here from uh, this psalm. And if you're trying to find it, if it's, at, it's in the New Testament after a string of books that start with the letter T. 
Thessalonians and the Timothys and the Titus, and then, well, Philemon's an exception. But uh, Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 10, it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, here's the quote, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. This is, that's Psalm 22. So what's the point? The point is this. Jesus does not just sit above us. He stands beside us. You see, Jesus does not just sit above us. He stands beside us, right in the storm. Now, what does that do to prayer? He experienced it, the anguish, in full. Go back and read Matthew 27 in particular. It speaks of, at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, a darkness came upon the land. It's not an eclipse. No way. It's not scientifically possible. Not that time of year. All those things. Astronomers can tell you that. Something else going on here. A darkness came upon the land for three hours. And that darkness, when you look through the scriptures, what that clearly indicates is the judgment of God upon sin. But that raises a question. Who's being judged? It's the one on the cross. The one on the cross, the righteous one, the sinless one, is being judged, has become accursed in our place for our sin. You understand that he experienced the anguish, the anguish, in full. He was forsaken that we would never be. You may feel it, and acutely so, but you will never be forsaken because of Jesus. The fellowship, the eternal fellowship that has, has and always ever shall exist between the Father and the Son was broken that we might be brought near. Jesus experienced the, the forsakenness, the anguish in full, which by implication means then what? He knows it in full. Jesus is understanding of anguish, of pain, of suffering, of, of it all, of the brokenness, the, 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 the unrightness of the experience of life in this world is not theoretical. He did not learn from it by reading a book. He did not study it. He did not stand off from afar and observe it. He encountered it. He entered it. He lived it. He knows it. And he stands ready beside us just to hear us say, help me. Because he does not just stand above, he stands beside. He has experienced the anguish in full, and so he knows this anguish in full. The Lord is coming to us saying, come to me with your anguish. I bore it all. I know it all. I can help you. There is a heresy, going back to the ancient days of the church, referred to as docetism. I won't give you a boring lesson on this, but docetism basically means this, 
that it was this, this heretical idea, it was early centuries of the church, that Jesus just seemed to be or appeared to be fully man. And the ancient councils and creeds pushed hard back against that. My friends, docetism is alive and well. And we are all closet heretics. And you say, what? Yes, we are. We don't really believe that Jesus entered into our experience. That Jesus, this eternal Son of God, took on flesh and went through the anguish. How do I know that? How do I know that? Because by the way I know I do and you do, by the way that we live and work, by the way we pray, by the way that we respond to anguish and suffering and pain ourselves, there's very little to any sense of a pulse that we believe that he knows what it is to go through trial and temptation. There's very little sense in the way we respond that he has any idea as to what grief and loss or betrayal and disappointment really means because we don't lean into him as though he knows. But he does know. He does know. And he's standing before, he's standing in our midst this morning, speaking to us from this psalm, saying, Come to me with your anguish. I bore it. And I know it. Come to me. Um, I'll tell you about a, uh, a conversation that I learned of just a few days ago. Um, between our son Alex and a dear friend of our family, John Queen. Um, some of you been around here long enough, no John. Um, Alex, as you know, is at uh, first year of college, UT Chattanooga. First time, long time away, far, far away, and he's got a lot to learn and a lot to experience and a lot to grow up. Don't we all at that age still? John, John and I served together in a church years ago, um, and John is now a businessman in the Chattanooga area who has taken it on himself. I didn't ask him to, but I'm glad he is looking after this young lad. In fact, they uh, went to church together last Sunday, and, and John took him to the Waffle House. So that's, of course, speaking Alex's love language. Um, this is the substance of what, and if I can summarize this, what both parties said to me was said by John to Alex. I know I'm not family, but your folks... are three hours away. So you need anything, you call me. I'm here. You call me. Now, that is, of course, tremendously encouraging to his mother and I. It is a reflection of the gospel. It is an application of the gospel. I say it's a reflection of the gospel because it's a it, it, it's an illustration of a much greater invitation that our Lord has given to us to come to Him. People in far, far, far greater need than even a, a college freshman on a college campus. 
in far greater need, with far greater help than my friend could ever offer. Our Lord calls us to come to Him in hard times. We can go to Him. My friends, we must go to Him and come to Him as we are. Let's pray. Lord, you have revealed to yourself to us in many ways in the Scriptures. As a powerful king, as a shepherd, as a father. And we need them all. We need them all um, to, relive, to live before you and relate to you in a true, honest, full way. It is great relief to know that it's not that when the inevitable anguish comes, we just don't turn anywhere or turn to ourselves because either way we're left with nothing. But rather we can turn to the one who sits above but also stands beside. We pray that you'd help us because, Lord, you've made it clear. If we don't already get it, we've made, you've made it clear that it's not an if the anguish will come but when. We pray that you'd help us to live and pray out of this, this fifth gospel, this Psalm 22. In your name we pray. Amen.